Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part two of his series, The Nine Gifts of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. I'd like to draw your attention to the title slide here. You know, the name of the series is The Nine Gifts of the Spirit. But really, the the gist of it is, it's the nine spiritual gifts explained. That's why I found this real nifty slide here with a package wrapped with a bow. And I wanted to remind everybody about the vision that I had on October 10th of last year where Trish and I, in the vision, were looking from our living room to our foyer inside our front door of our home. All of a sudden, gifts appeared stacked up against our door. One of the gifts was so big that it was bigger than the door frame itself. And they were wrapped and they had bows like that. Amen. And I looked to see who the gifts were addressed to, and they were all addressed to Faith Life Fellowship. So I discerned with my lightning-fast mind, that must mean that God wants to pour out His gifts here at Faith Life Fellowship. Not just with Trisha and I, but through every member, every person who calls this their home church. I want you to hook up with us as we believe God for supernatural gifts to be poured out in this place. Through Trisha and I, through everybody in your seat there. You can be used by God in the gifts of the Spirit. All you have to be is baptized in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And speaking in tongues is the doorway into operating in greater depths in the gifts of the Spirit. The more I pray in tongues, the more I worship the Lord in tongues, the more I operate in the gifts. Amen. So that should be a motivation for you to pray more in the Spirit. All right, so the nine gifts of the Spirit, part two this morning. Last week, we began our series by talking about the fruit of the Spirit. We pointed out that you won't be very effective in walking in the gifts if you're not walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? So let's read again the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And this is New King James. In fact, we'll be using New King James throughout the whole teaching. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, that word there is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, the original language actually lists that as faith, gentleness, which is meekness or humility, and then self-control, amen. And the word says, against such there is no law. In other words, if you operate in the fruit of the Spirit, no law can condemn you or come against you. Amen. The other thing we pointed out is whether you believe it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether it manifests or not, these things are already in you if you're born again. If you're born again, then love, joy, peace is in you. Long-suffering or patience is in you. Kindness is in you. Goodness is Faith, meekness, humility, and self-control, these are all in you. All you have to do is learn how to tap into what's on the inside. Amen? I like the way Brother Kenneth Hagin used to say it concerning the walk of love. He says, act like you love them because the Bible says you do. (laughs) 
love is on the inside of you, you might as well walk it out. Amen. You know, and I and I detest this next statement. Some people say, well, just fake it till you make it. No, I don't I don't think that's what's going on there. You got a revelation of what really is on the inside of you. You make up your mind. I'm going to walk in love because it's in me. It's part of me. There's no fake about it. We also talked about how that Paul drove home this point in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, how that love was essential to operating effectively in the gifts of the Spirit. You know, you got chapter 12 there in 1 Corinthians, which is about spiritual gifts. You got chapter 14, which is about prophecy, tongues, and interpretation, and right smack in the middle, you got chapter 13, which talks about love. Not just love in general, although you can use that chapter to walk in love in general. That chapter was placed there for a reason. It's right there in the center, so it is central. Love is central to operating powerfully and effectively in the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? Hallelujah. So we drove home that point last week. This week, we're going to get into the nine supernatural gifts of the Spirit uh, in detail. And I want to begin by reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says to the Corinthians, who, by the way, were well known for operating in the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, they were operating, you know, boosting above. They were uh, uh, operating in the gifts on steroids, operating in the gifts on top of one another. And so Paul had to write and straighten them out and tell them, you, you got to do things a little bit more organized, a little bit more, uh, what's the word, uh, decently and in order, he says in the scripture there. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty bold statement, you know. I don't want you to be ignorant. In other words, I want you to be learned about the gifts of the Spirit. I want you to understand the gifts of the Spirit. And I personally believe about one-third of the body of Christ really understands the gifts of the Spirit. Another one-third believes they all passed away. And another one-third are completely ignorant of the gifts of the Spirit. They don't even know what you're talking about. They just skip over that chapter in the Bible and keep reading. So if Paul, who was influenced by the Holy Spirit, believed it was important to be learned and knowledgeable about spiritual gifts, then the Holy Spirit wants you to be learned and knowledgeable about the gifts of the Spirit. All right, skip on down to verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Still talking about the gifts of the Spirit here. Paul says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. In other words, the gifts are not just for you. They're for the benefit of all members of the body of Christ. They're even for the benefit of the world. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. There's a key point there. 
You can't operate autonomously in the gifts of the Spirit. You operate in these gifts as the Holy Spirit wills. At the time and place that He desires. He wills. Just remember that. You cannot manufacture a prophetic word or you'll get in trouble. Make yourself look like a fool. You cannot manufacture words of wisdom, words of knowledge. They have to come from the Spirit when the Spirit wants you to deliver. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. So it is helpful when you study the gifts of the Spirit to categorize them, not necessarily according to the order that you find them here in Scripture, but maybe it's better if you look at them and group them according to their function and the way they operate. And so if you do that, you end up finding that there's three major categories of gifts that people refer to. And the first one that we're going to do is revelation gifts. Revelation gifts are called revelation gifts because they reveal something. Something is revealed to you by the Holy Spirit that you had no other way of knowing. Revelation gifts include word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. That's what we'll be doing today. The other two categories, power gifts. Power gifts are called power gifts because they involve a display of God's power. It's just that simple. Gifts of healings, gift of faith, working of miracles. And then you have vocal, sometimes also called inspirational gifts because they involve speaking and inspiring people. That is tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. Amen. Hallelujah. As I said twice already, maybe three times already, we're going to zero in this morning on the revelation gifts. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. If you would, go to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8, which we already read, but this is the base scripture where you find word of knowledge and word of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 says, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. So let's just talk about those two. And I'm going to start with the word of knowledge because it progresses more naturally into the word of wisdom if you cover it first. All right, I have a little slide. Word of knowledge is a part or parcel of knowledge, not all knowledge. Remember last week we said a word is part of a sentence, but it's not the whole sentence. So a word of knowledge is a part or parcel of knowledge that was supernaturally revealed to you by the Spirit. Amen. There's more. It is knowledge of present tense or past tense realities concerning a person, a people, a place, or a thing that is revealed to us supernaturally by the Spirit of God. A word of knowledge can manifest in a variety of ways as the Spirit wills, and we'll be getting into that as we go and let it naturally progress. So let's talk about some New Testament examples of word of knowledge. Word of knowledge. A great example of this gift can be found in John chapter 1, verse 44 through 51. This is the example. This is the, the story of how that Philip became an early disciple of Jesus and got so excited he wanted to go tell his brother Nathaniel all about it. Amen. 
John 1, 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael, all excited, said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. In other words, he's saying, You have not seen anything yet. Or as we say in the South, You ain't seen nothing yet. Verse 51, he says, And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. In other words, you think it's awesome that I saw you supernaturally under the fig tree? Listen, you're going to see a portal open in heaven and you're going to see angels coming down and going up and down constantly in the life and ministry of Jesus, myself, the Messiah. You're going to see that. Now, we don't see the fulfillment of that in Scripture anywhere, but we know that it happened because Jesus said it was going to happen. Amen? So at some point, probably at one or more times, probably more than one time, Nathaniel saw that portal open and he saw angels coming down and going up and coming down and going up, helping Jesus do the work of the ministry. Is that not cool? That is cool. So evidently, in this example, Jesus saw Nathanael under the fig tree in a vision just before he met him in person. And Nathanael, who was somewhat cynical about Philip's claim of meeting the Messiah, was blown away when he finally met Jesus. Listen, it only took one word of knowledge operating through the life of Jesus to convince Nathanael that Jesus was Lord. Just one word of knowledge. That's all it took. That's how powerful the gifts of the Spirit are. Sometimes just one word given to the right person at the right time in the right set of circumstances is all it takes to turn that person for Jesus. Amen. Think about that. So ultimately, as we tried to stress last week, ultimately the gifts should reflect God's love towards mankind and should point people to Jesus as their Savior and Lord if they don't already know Him. Amen. Sometimes the word of knowledge manifests through an inner revelation, a knowing on the inside. You don't have to have a vision to have a word of knowledge. You could just know something on the inside. Proverbs 23.12. Proverbs 23.12. The writer of the Proverbs says, apply your heart to instruction. In other words, be sensitive in your spirit, in your heart, and your ears to words of knowledge. 
The key to getting words of knowledge from the Lord is tuning your spiritual ears to the right frequency so that when he talks to you, you can hear what he's saying. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, this inner knowing, I believe the encounter that Jesus had with the woman at the well in John chapter 4 is a perfect example. So let's read John chapter 4, verse 16 through 19. Now, you know the story. Jesus went to the well there in Samaria. They were traveling through, and they found this lone woman drawing water from the well. Jesus sent the disciples away to get food, and then he struck up a dialogue with this woman. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke truly. Talk about reading somebody's mail. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. No kidding. And if you read the whole story, you find out that this prophetic word to this lady ended up being the key to unlocking the whole city to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many were saved because of one word of knowledge. Amen. Sometimes a word of knowledge can manifest through an angelic visitation. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. Matthew 1, verse 18 through 20. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Notice it was present tense facts or realities about Mary. She was already pregnant. And he was concerned about what to do about it because he was betrothed to her. And under the law, he could have taken her to be stoned. But because he was a righteous man, he knew that wasn't the way that Jesus operated or Jesus would operate. He knew that there was a better way. And he was looking for a way to put her away secretly so that she wouldn't get into trouble. And that's when the angel appeared and said, she is pregnant. But it's no wrongdoing on her part. That baby was conceived in her by the Holy Spirit. So don't be afraid to marry her and take her as your wife. Amen. So a word of knowledge, very appropriate for him because he didn't know what to do. And it came through an angel visiting him in a dream. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, let me give you a personal example because what I like to do is give you scriptural examples and then give you personal examples real-life stories of these things in operation. Um, Back when Trisha and I lived in Minden, Louisiana, pastor of that church where we were faithful members recognized my gift, and I got to preach in the pulpit many, many times. 
And this was a Sunday night. I was preaching on healing. I was preaching on God wants you well. It is the will of God for you to be healed. And I'm telling you, when you preach that, there's something about that topic that causes people's faith to rise and healings to manifest. That night, there were many instantaneous healings, instant manifestations. So I got about two-thirds down the line in the healing line, which I, I called an altar call after I preached. And uh, the altar was full from left to right, and I was standing on the platform, and I was going down and praying for them one by one. Like I said, some of them were receiving instant manifestations. It was glorious. I thought, man, I'm on a roll. Thank you, Jesus. I got about two-thirds down the line. I got to this young lady. She was 27 years old. That's the only thing I remember besides the fact that she had three boys, three young toddler boys. So she said to me, I've been deaf in my left ear since I was a little girl. Can Jesus do anything for me? And so I started praying for her just like I did everybody else in the line where I was seeing tremendous results. But nothing was happening. In fact, it felt like my prayers were bouncing off this young lady. And I'm like, Lord, what is going on here? And I heard the Lord on the inside. That what I call that inward audible voice. And he said, she has a spirit of infirmity. And if you do not deal with the spirit, she will not be healed. And immediately I thought, well, that's just me. Those words are just me because Pastor Bill may not let me preach again if I go to casting devils out of people in his church. And so again, the second time, I heard it even louder. She has a spirit of infirmity. If you don't deal with it, she won't be healed. And then I argued with the Lord, and I said what I just said to you. Lord, Pastor Bill may not let me preach again if I do that. He said, would you rather not preach again? Or would you rather be obedient to me? I was like, okay, Lord, here we go. <laughs> so I took my right finger, I put it in her left ear, and I shouted, in the name of Jesus, you foul spirit of deafness, come out! Her ear popped open instantly. She heard for the first time in 25 years. Now, none of that would have happened had the Lord not given me a word of knowledge about what was going on. Now, mind you, I did not see the Spirit. I was made aware by Jesus that it was there. And I dealt with it, and she was healed. A couple weeks later, she came up to me Sunday morning service. She said, Brother Scott, I got a bone to pick with you. I'm like, oh, what's going on? She said, you know, I got three rowdy little toddler boys, and on Saturday... They run all over the house making all kind of racket all day long. And so I used to put my deaf ear up on the couch and my good ear down on the couch, and I wouldn't hear a thing. Now I can hear a pin drop. I said, take it up with Dr. Jesus. He's the one that healed you, not me. Amen. True story, no embellishment. The Lord got on to me. He said, now listen, when you tell these stories, don't embellish. They are supernatural enough. As it is, you don't have to make them more, you know, whiz-bang than they really are. Hallelujah. That's a word. Look it up. Whiz-bang. All right. So that's word of knowledge. 
supernatural knowledge of present tense or past tense things in the life of a person, a people, a place, or a thing. Amen? And then you got word of wisdom. We've got a slide for word of wisdom. Word of wisdom is a part or parcel of wisdom, but not all wisdom, just like word of knowledge. Again, I say it's just a part or parcel of wisdom, not all wisdom. A word of wisdom is knowledge of future events, particularly events that are associated with the plans and purposes of God, which are supernaturally revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And again, just like word of knowledge, a word of wisdom can manifest in a variety of ways as the Spirit wills. Amen. So let's find our base scripture for word of wisdom. Again, oh, we already read it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. It has word of knowledge and word of wisdom in it. But I want you to read another scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, because the word there for wisdom is used here also in chapter 2. I'm saying the word that is used there with word of wisdom, the word translated wisdom, is also used here in 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8. So note the context in which this word wisdom is used, and it'll give you some revelation about what a word of wisdom is. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So again, the Greek word here for wisdom that's found in verse 7 twice is also found in 1 Corinthians 12, 8, where we have word of knowledge and word of wisdom. Okay. So you can infer from what we just read that word of wisdom has to do with the future plans and purposes of God for an individual, for a group of individuals, for a nation, or even for nations. Amen. All right. Praise God. In the next example from Scripture, the Apostle Paul had to hear from God concerning his missionary journey, where to go to preach. Amen. And he was seeking word from the Lord because he'd been blocked by the Holy Spirit at two different places. And he's like, okay, if I can't go there and I can't go there, where do you want me to go? So we pick it up here in Acts 16, verse 6 through 10. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia and they had come to Mycenae. They tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So there's two places, and the Holy Spirit said, no, no. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Amen. And the whole Philippian church was birthed as a result of that word of wisdom given to them by the Spirit. Amen. In a night vision. Amen. Hallelujah. Word of wisdom may come in many forms, as we've already alluded to. You know, just like the word of knowledge, they can come through an angelic visitation, a dream, a vision, or even an audible voice. 
Another personal example I'd like to share with you, back during the summer of 1991, I will spare you all the background. We were still living in Louisiana. Our girls were toddlers at the time. The Lord spoke to me in an audible voice and told me where I would be and what I would be doing in October of 1996. Now, that's more than five years into the future. And he spoke to me in an audible voice and through a very clever word code, he essentially showed me the exact street address where I would be living and working five years later of a place I never heard of before, didn't realize that this word was fulfilled until I found out the street address of where I was five years later. Now, it's a long, long story and very involved. It was uh, the Lord dealing with my heart and trying to get me to follow his plan and not my plan. And essentially, I found myself five years down the road in a heap of trouble because I followed my own plan and not his. The word, just so you know that the Lord spoke to me, he said, we came home from church that Sunday and we had a little loft bedroom that Trish and I slept in. And I told Trish, I said, listen, I'm really tired. I'm just going to go take a nap. I went up to the loft. I lay back on the bed on, on my back and looking up at the ceiling and instantly I was in the spirit and I felt the weight of the glory of God pinning me down to the bed. And then I heard the audible voice of the Lord say, the next significant event on your timeline will occur in 1996. And I guess I'll tell you a little bit about it. I ended up at 108 Timeline Drive over five years later. That's October 8th. He said it would happen in October 1996. I would be at Timeline Drive. And I was at 108 Timeline Drive in Columbus, Mississippi, five years later. So the Lord said, I got your number. I know where you're going to be all along your timeline. I've seen the end from the beginning. And the reason it was a significant event in my life is I finally surrendered to the Lord and asked him to forgive me, and I repented of going my own way. And I said, Lord, just tell me what I need to do to get back on track, and I'll do it. And he did, and I did. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right. Okay. All right, the last thing we're going to talk about is discerning of spirits. It's a little wild. Mark the exits. You know, like when the airliners, when you're getting ready to take off... Make sure you know where your exits are. <laughs> you may want to run out of the building. First oh. Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. I'm just joking. You do know that, right? First Corinthians 12, verse 10. I guess I need to uh, read my little definition of discerning of spirits, don't I? Discerning of spirits is the supernatural ability to see into the spirit realm. Let me say that again. Discerning of spirits is the supernatural ability to see into the spirit realm. Now we can read 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. It is the base scripture where you find discerning of spirits. Verse 10 says, To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. Now, the word translated as discerning means discerning distinguishing, or judging. And Merriam-Webster says the definition of discern is to detect with the eyes, to detect 
with the eyes. So this gift allows you to detect with the eyes in the spirit realm and discern whether a spirit is good or evil. Remember I shared last week where in that same little sleepy town of Minden, Louisiana, I saw an angel in the middle of the night fly through our bedroom window, and uh, he was not an angel of God. And I discerned in my spirit that he wasn't, and I dispatched him and sent him on his way. So listen, this is serious business. You know, discerning of spirit doesn't mean all you see is devils. If all you see is devils, you may need deliverance. And I I don't mean that. That's partly funny, but it has a nugget of truth in it, okay? Because when I first had my first vision into the supernatural realm in April of 1985, it was because I was plagued with uh, demonic nightmares. I was gripped with fear, didn't even want to go to bed because I knew that when I would go to sleep, I would have these demonic encounters. So for years and years and years of my life, all I saw was the dark side until Jesus appeared to me in April of 85 to talk to me, to minister to me about the role of fear in battling the devil's work in your life. In so many words, in demonstration, he made it clear to me that the key to to defeating the devil is standing against the fear that he brings. If you can stand against the fear, you can foil every plot and every scheme of the enemy because that is all he has is his lies and his fear that he peddles to you. Amen. So, praise the Lord. Let's give you an Old Testament example of discerning of spirits. You know, my study of the Old Testament, you will find all the gifts of the Spirit in manifestation, usually with the prophets, except for tongues and interpretation of tongues. They are there. 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17. You guys should be familiar with this. Remember, Elisha was calling out the battle plans of the king of Syria to the king of Israel. Every time they'd make a strategic move, he would tell them where the army was and what they were going to do. And so the king of Israel was able to outfox them every step of the way. And the king of Syria got really frustrated. And he said, who is the traitor among us? And a little servant girl said, no, it's nobody among us. There is a prophet in Israel, and he hears what you say in your bedchamber. He knows every move you're going to make. He says, I got to find this Elisha guy. I got to shut him up. So that's where we pick it up, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 to 17. Elisha's servant, Gehazi, when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, There was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. The city of Dothan was completely surrounded. And his servants said to him, Alas, master, what shall we do? Or we'd say, what are we going to do? You know. So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Amen. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Glory to God. I wish I could have been on that wall to see that. Amen. Hallelujah. He was able, through a gift of the Spirit, I believe, through the operation of the prophet there, uh, to look into and see what was really going on in the spirit realm. Hallelujah. You know, my spiritual father, the man who brought me to the Lord, he said this to me shortly after I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, 
if you could see who you are in the Spirit and how many angels are around you supporting what you do, you might be so high and lofty you'd be no good to the Lord. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good perspective. Maybe it's good that we don't see it all the time because we get lifted up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right, I'm going to read a couple of scriptures to you to illustrate another example here of discerning of spirits from Revelation, from the book of Revelation. These are from the book of John, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read them to you, and then I'll show you why they're salient, why they, uh, I can use them to make a point here. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. This is the Apostle John saying, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Revelation 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Now, what I want you to see is that John saw the form of the Father sitting on the throne. Even though God the Father is a spirit, the Bible says he's a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. He still has a humanoid form. He has a face. He has a head. He has arms. He has hands. He has a backside. He has a back. He has legs so he can sit on a throne and put his arms on the armrest. He has a humanoid form. Amen. So John saw the form of the Father God sitting on the throne. On March 20th, 2005, I was in my bed. As far as I knew, I was sound asleep. And all of a sudden, I found myself standing in front of the throne of God. And I, again, I don't want to embellish this. I was seeing through a glass darkly. So everything was misty and hazy. But I could make out the throne. I could make out enough of his form to realize that there was this huge man sitting on this throne. I, I started at his feet and I went all the way up to his chest and then I went to his neck, and from the neck up was just all smoke. I could not see his face. I put my hands in the air, and I began to worship him in tongues right there in front of the throne. And I'm just getting it. I'm just worshiping. I'm letting the rivers flow. I tell you, there's nothing like worshiping God in tongues in front of the throne. <laughs> Amen. And what I did not realize... And my wife was in bed with me, and I did not realize this, but I was actually praying in the Spirit in my sleep as well. And my hands were in the air, and I was praying in tongues with my natural voice, not just my spirit voice. Very strange encounter. And when it was all over, you know, my wife was just listening, and then I came out of this vision and she said, honey, you need to get up right now and you need to write this down because God was speaking to you. What happened after this moment of worship before the throne, all of a sudden the Lord started to prophesy to me and he used my mouth to do it. He said, today I say unto you. Listen, this is a prophetic word for many in this room this morning. Today, I say unto you, I will fulfill the promise that I made unto you. 
I will be true to the word that I spoke over you. I will not abandon you. I will be true to my word. I tell you what, it's a glorious day. I, one of those times I will never forget. There are promises that I'm still holding on to, and I remind the Lord from time to time, even though it's a 16-year-old prophetic event, I still say, Lord, remember what you said? You'd be true to your word. Be it unto me according to what you said to me on your throne, March 20th, 2005. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so that obviously is an example of discerning of spirits. Again, I say it was hazy, but I could make out the form of the Father. I already told you about Jesus teaching me about fear in Corpus Christi, Texas. I'll share two more just real briefly. On March 13th, 2014, the Lord had been dealing with Trisha and I about making a move and coming here to establish a church, pastor a church in Carolina. We were still in Louisiana. And uh, one early morning, it was about 6.30 in the morning, the sun was just shining into the back bedroom windows, and the door opened up, and I saw a vision of Jesus come in. He stood in front of the bed, and he had a little bulldog, English bulldog puppy in his arms. It was white with brown spots, and he put it down at our feet. Now, I was the only one awake. Trish was sound asleep. He put the puppy down at our feet, and the puppy snuggled up at our feet. And he said, shall the foot say unto the hand, since it's a hand, it is no longer of the body? I was like, whoa, what does that mean? <laughs> and then he went from that into sharing with me about how that we were about to enter a new season in our marriage and that the enemy would use that new season to put stress on our marriage if we were not careful. He told me to keep in mind that my marriage on the earth was the most valuable thing I had. Of course, apart from my relationship with him. He said, so fight for it. Value it. Do not let hold of this gift of God. So I've had many years to meditate on that vision and... I believe the first part, if you read that, it's in 1 Corinthians, coincidentally enough, about the foot and the hand. It talks about your place in the body, being comfortable with your place in the body, whether you're a foot or a hand or an eye or a head or whatever, being comfortable in your place in the body. And we were about to change places in the body from being uh, teachers, ministers, to being pastors. And that is a transition that will put a lot of strain on a marriage. And, uh, you know, that's how much Jesus cares about you. He cares about your marriage. He told me it was the most valuable thing I had on planet Earth to fight for it. So I, I asked him later, I said, Lord, what are the puppy? He said, well, think about it. I said, okay, I think I got it. Number one, bulldogs are known for their tenacity. I need to fight for my marriage with the tenacity of a bulldog. Number two, Puppies need constant care and affection. So does my marriage. And the Lord said, bingo. <laughs> you got it right. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Finally, I know it's late. Um, October 18th, 2017. I wanted to share one that actually happened in the city of Wilmington. 
I had a vision, and in the vision I was standing in the sand trap looking up the fairway of this huge golf course. And I saw a man in a white robe and a blue sash holding a lamb walking down the fairway towards me. He put the lamb down, he talked to a group of people to his right, and then he made a beeline for me. And I'm in the sand trap. That in itself is symbolic. And he came down, I'll spare a lot of the details, but he came down and he walked into the sand trap with me. And there was this like, this knoll, this little hill with a little sprig of grass on the top of it. It was between me and him. And he walked around it and he put his hand on my head and he said, friend. And I fell out and just was shivering, sob, sobbing, just crying. And when I finally came out of it, the Lord said, I'm here to help you finish your course. I'm here to help you finish your course with joy. I mean, when he came around that little hill, he was, he was laughing at the fact that I was in a sand trap. It was like, this is no big deal to me. And he called me friend, even though sometimes you don't feel like a friend of God. He reassured me that I was his friend. He had great plans for me. Amen. So all of those are examples of discerning a spirit. Not everybody's going to see the same things. Not everybody's going to see what I see. There are other people that have strengths in other gifts of the spirit that I don't have. So uh, please um, don't feel like you have to go home and have a vision of Jesus to be worthy. You know, that's just wrong thinking, you know, uh, and I'd like to point out that these these supernatural encounters are spread over 30 years. I did the math one time. It's an average of seven years between major visitations. So it's not like it happens to me every day in my life either. Amen. Hallelujah. So let me wrap this up by reminding everyone that no matter how God speaks through you or to you, whether through gifts of the Spirit or through dreams and visions, everything has to be channeled through what I call the Rosetta Stone of the Word of God. You have to ground these types of experiences on the word and listen closely to the Holy Spirit, or you may be deceived. Amen. Amen. So next week, we'll talk about the power gifts, gifts of healings, gift of faith and working of miracles. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed part two of Dr. Forrest's message. The Nine Gifts of the Holy Spirit If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 10 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.